Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N.com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John. And today we have Gina Horky from HorkyHandbook.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what Horky Handbook is and how you got started? Yeah. So the naming of the website is my story. My last name is Horky, H-O-R-K-E-Y. I married into German descent. Fun fact, we went to Prague and I think it was 2018. And this ties into my story too, because I was flown out there by a client. I was a virtual assistant at the time offering customer service services. And they did a remote team meetup in Prague. So it was like my first time going overseas and an amazing experience. But my husband came with and we took a bus trip to Germany, which is right next door. And we got to kind of see our name displayed all over the place based on the area that we were in. So kind of a a fun coming of age, getting into the roots of of where we come from. But I named HorkyHandbook.com. It's just kind of a fun alliteration with the two H's. And I broke into freelance writing in 2014. I had a full-time career in finance and I was almost about a a decade in to that environment, but I wanted something different like many of your listeners potentially that work full-time nine to five in corporate America. It wasn't what I wanted to do when I grew up anymore. And I'm still figuring out the answer to that question, by the way. I've I've since learned that it's kind of just an evolution, right? Like you need to kind of be open to opportunities and where your career is going to lead you. And for me, my chapter in finance was coming to a close and I wanted something different. And I was the breadwinner for our little family of four at the time. I had a 10-month-old and our kids are 19 months apart. And my husband quit his job when our second was born in 2013. So it wasn't even a year later after he was home all the time that I got like this itch to to do something different. And I wanted that flexibility and freedom that freelancing can bring to the table. And so I started doing freelance writing and I found some clients and got paid and then transitioned as well into adding some different virtual assistant services to the mix and built a business around that enough so that I was able to leave my kind of corporate job behind within the first eight months. And I've been doing it ever since now more teaching other people how to break into offering services online. So what sparked your entrance and freelance writing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was trying to figure out kind of my place. And I didn't even know that freelance writing was a thing that people were paying contractors to create content for their websites or do, you know, sales copy for websites, or you can ghostwrite books, like there's a million different services that you can offer even underneath the freelance writing umbrella. I did not have a journalist background. My background isn't even in finance. I went to school and graduated with a psychology degree, which I think served me well. So I enjoyed writing. I knew I was a strong communicator and I had had, you know, tried my hand at a couple of like 
fiction novels that have not seen the light of day since like the first draft of, of being completed. And I'm okay with that. They're probably pretty horrible, but it was like one of those hobby passion type things that once I learned that this opportunity existed, I was like, oh, I, I can probably do that. And turns out that I could. Wow, that's really interesting. So you wrote like blog posts and things like that. Yeah, my first gig, and it's been fun. I'm six years in now to my journey of working online. And so the very first thing that I got commissioned to write was two ghost-written blog posts on gluten-free couponing. And I was not and am not gluten-free, and I'm not really a couponer. I'd seen a couple of those episodes of extreme couponing and the hoarder editions, you know, where they have like 1,200 deodorant sticks on their nicely organized shelves. But yeah, I I figured like that's something that I can learn enough about or that I've heard enough about to be able to create some content around. And so I got paid 40 whole dollars for those two articles. (laughs) But you know what? It was validation that somebody would pay me for my writing services, a great learning opportunity. And then I kind of challenged myself from there on out to earn more and more income from the side hustle of mine. and, And it worked out well. So how did you get the word out there? How did people find you? Oh, it's all me beating down the doors, right? So if you are tuning in and you're thinking about starting a side hustle or a freelance business that you want to have full time, like you can't just set up a website and then all of a sudden you have all these clients that are wanting you to work with them and and pay you for, for your writing or your other services that you're offering. So actually, that's where I started answering your question, horkyhandbook.com, in addition to being my German last name is a a place that I had just to showcase writing samples. So it was not my intention to write a blog and grow an audience and do all of these things. I just knew that if clients wanted to hire me for my writing, they needed proof that I could write. And so I wrote my first few samples and I put them up on a website that looks a lot different today than it did then. I chose a free, really clean theme. And, and, you know, even my blog posts aren't that great when I compare my writing style now and all that I've learned since then. So then I, I used job boards. That was one of the ways that I found some clients. My very first client that I mentioned, though, was part of a Facebook group. And if you're on Facebook, there are a ton of groups that have to do with entrepreneurship or you know different business industries that might be a good fit for potential clients. Like Everyone needs help writing content for the most part. And other services, too. When you think about the business owners that are hiring, typically they do whatever it is that they do best. So if it's a chiropractor or if it's somebody that is selling like physical products, their main skill set isn't necessarily writing blog posts and writing sales copy. Those things are, are needed for their business, but that's not their number one skill set nor the best use of their time. So it's kind of a great industry to be in freelance writing or otherwise, because there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah, your website, by the way, is I like the look of it. It's very clean. And so I know you offer some courses. Basically, now what you do, I guess, is teach others how to become a virtual assistant of some sort. Yep. So our flagship course is 30 days or less to virtual assistant success. There's a lot of buzz right now about working from home. Obviously, we're forced into it in many respects because of of COVID. But I think it's, you know, it's been growing for years already. But I think it's here to stay not only in the freelancing or self-employment environment, but I'm pretty sure that corporate America is going to be taking a few 
hints from what's going on to reduce their overhead when it comes to just outfitting their offices for people to be working in person. There's going to be a lot more opportunity for remote work. And there's a special breed of people out there that would rather work for themselves and go and find and contract out with other small business owners and clients than working for one boss and having to punch that time clock and things like that. And so they're either a lot of our audience are stay at home parents, moms that are caring for their children. I mean, we're getting a strong dose of that this year too, with the homeschooling on top of it, right? So we have a lot of people that are just looking to increase kind of their household income. And then we have people more like myself that want to change careers and do something completely different. And what better time than right now with all this in-demand learning that exists? Like you can start a business, like a virtual assistant business around skills and services that you already know how to do based on your experience, maybe in corporate America or volunteering or all the other activities of life. But you can learn new ones at a drop of a hat. And it's really exciting to be a part of kind of the online revolution. So what are the different types? I mean, I'm sure there's hundreds, but what are some of like the main types of virtual assistant Yeah, you can definitely create content. So if you're a strong writer, that is definitely a thing. Other people have more of that eagle eye and proofreading is a highly needed service as well as editing. Bookkeeping is something kind of every small business owner needs. There are a few that really enjoy doing it for themselves and more power to them. It's one of the things that I personally hire out because although I'm a finance background, it's not the best use or the most enjoyable use of my time to keep my own books. So those are a couple popular ones. Graphic design is huge, right? Like images really do tell a story. And so creating graphic for social media, or it could be creating like pretty PDFs, worksheets and downloads and things like that. Affiliate program management is one that I don't think gets a lot of attention. So that's actually a two-sided kind of conversation. There are people like myself that have an affiliate program where when others decide to promote our services or our products, they can earn a commission for that introduction. And then there are other bloggers that will be an affiliate for people like me or other products or services, and they will then promote their offerings in order to earn that commission. So somebody that does the affiliate marketing management then can work for somebody like myself that has the products, or they can work for like the blogger, let's say, and manage those relationships, including things like commissions and updating links. You could be somebody that does website design. You could do website management. So keeping all the plugins up to date. You can do things that come to like sales and and marketing. So writing out email sequences and creating opt-ins and like we could probably talk about this all day long. Do you hire out anything in your business? I don't currently, you know, as a frugalpreneur, I basically have to do everything myself right now (laughs) because I don't have a big budget. But, you know, at some point as the business grows, then hopefully I can start outsourcing some things. I've actually thought about, you know, so I do all my like podcast editing, my audiograms, my images, all that kind of stuff. So I started thinking, well, I kind of enjoy doing that for myself. Maybe I could start charging people to do it for them. So I've I'm in the beginning stages of launching podcasts, production So I guess that would be kind of like a virtual assistant in that respect. Yeah, to take a step back. So how we define a virtual assistant is just anyone that's trading time or skills or services in exchange for pay from a small business owner that needs that help and they're doing it virtually or from afar. It's a self-employment capacity versus being hired by somebody as an employee. One of the more recent courses that we've developed and we published late last year is called Podcast Production School. So exactly what you were just saying. And 
it's an amazing service to be able to offer because underneath that podcast production umbrella are numerous different things. And you already named a few of the most popular as far as editing audio. You can write show notes, you can repurpose content. So that comes into play with promotion on social media. If you're working with a podcaster that has a pretty good following, you can manage sponsorships for them. You can do guest outreach. There's a ton just underneath that medium alone that's really helpful to people that have grown a big show. But even for people that don't have a large audience or even an existing podcast, so business owners need to be able to market themselves and differentiate themselves from their competition. You can work with a business owner to help them to start and launch a podcast as well, which is really exciting. Yeah, I saw that podcast production school. That's pretty cool. I don't know that there's really anything out there. I mean, there's courses here and there, but yeah, I, I don't know of any course about producing podcasts. And the courses that I know of, like Pat Flynn's or whatever, are more about like do it yourself. You can launch your own show right. and develop a following. Yep. And the thing that we do differently, and this is based on all of our experience over the last six years and me starting my own service based business, is how do we teach people the hard skills so that they can go and come alongside business owners? Because again, we were talking before about like, there's certain things that you do best, right? So when I was in finance, like meeting with clients and doing financial plans and analysis and all of that was very important to my role. But there's so many other parts or hats that you have to wear as a business owner that if you really want to grow and scale, you can totally do the majority of those things yourself. It's just going to be limiting as far as how many clients you're able to work with or how many projects you're able to take on at any given time, unless you grow a team. Growing a team isn't for everybody though, and neither is being an entrepreneur or being self-employed. So you kind of have to just take an inventory of what it is that you're interested in, what do you enjoy doing, and then kind of go from there. So how did you get the idea for starting the the podcast production school? It's a huge, huge, huge medium. So when you think about content marketing and how you can reach like a, a target audience or your ideal customers, there's kind of three main ways to be able to do that. One is going to be in text, and that could be creating quality content for your blog. It's developing an email newsletter list and you know talking to people through, again, that text email text medium of being able to have those conversations in that way. YouTube and video is another huge area for people to be able to reach their target audience. And then there's this wonderful marriage in between the two of podcasting, which is really just recording conversations. The great thing about podcasting is it's something that the average person feels like they can do. Yes, there might be some tech setup that seems a little bit intimidating. And if you want to do it all yourself, you'll have to figure out the whole editing of audio and getting it distributed and things like that. But if you don't want to do it yourself, it's really just recording yourself having conversations. And that can be a solo show. It can be like what we're doing right now where you have a guest or you could have a partner in crime that you're having conversations back and forth with. And so because it's audio people don't have to feel like they're a super strong writer. They don't have to feel like they're camera ready or that they have the face for video, right? It's just a really accessible medium that's continuing to grow by leaps and bounds as far as the average person now knowing how to download and listen to a podcast episode. I was just talking with a friend of mine, Jason, I think it was yesterday, 
And he was talking about the days when you had to actually download an MP4 file onto like your phone or your computer. And that's how you listen to podcasts. And that wasn't very accessible to the average listener, right? I use like Podcast Addict is that the app that I choose to listen to things on my phone. Other people use Stitcher or iHeartRadio or whatever. Like it's just the new way of um, absorbing content. And you can listen to a video podcast, but the majority of them are all are all just audio. And so we were real passionate about the medium of audio of I've been doing guest interviews for years and years and years. And my partners, one of them, Mel is in podcast production. So she does that for a living. She's also a voice actor, which is really cool. And then Haley is our kind of third stool. And she's been using a podcast to sell her coaching services for years. And so we've all had these different experiences and really positive experiences within this medium. And we figured, hey, why not teach other people how to offer this as a service? Because it's so needed in a business owner's life. And then what are the VA leads? I guess, is it like people can come to your website, Horky Handbook, to find virtual assistants? Almost kind of like you're matching up virtual assistants with people looking for virtual assistants? Yeah. So our primary customer are actually our students, people that are looking to start a virtual assistant business. And here's the thing I run in circles with a lot of entrepreneurs that are looking for good quality help. And so we have this free service called the virtual assistant finder that business owners can come to and just plug in their details. We have a pretty intuitive questionnaire that really gets to the the needs of what they have and what they're hiring for so that we can then compile that information and put it out to our community of people that have enrolled and completed our courses. And then they get to reach out to that business owner themselves. And we teach them a lot of really great strategies to set themselves apart from the competition. Our community is usually between four and 500 people at any given time, even though we've trained thousands and thousands of virtual assistants at this time. But they're able to use that as one of the places that they're able to prospect for business and, and build their business. And then on the other side of that, business owners know that we train in a specific way. And our whole goal is to make the working relationship as easy as possible. And a lot of the strategies that we teach are things that I implemented myself. And I take a a lot of pride in the fact that when I was leaving finance, and I had that kind of hard conversation with my office that, hey, this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to be moving on. I've been building this thing on the side. I was able to help find and hire and train my replacement. And then I was able to use all those systems and those processes that I had developed over the six years that I had been with them in order to onboard her and set her up for success. And they actually became one of my very next clients because I was licensed as an advisor and the person that they hired to take on the majority of my role and responsibilities wasn't. And so she didn't have the capacity or the knowledge to write financial plans, for example. And so for the first five months of me going full time, online, I was actually still contracting out my services to them. And that was great because I got paid an extra $500 a month. It was like perfect timing. As you're building like a side hustle and you're working full time, there's this peak that you reach, right? Where you can't take on any more clients or any more business because you've just maxed out the available time that you have for yourselves. But then you're looking at pulling the trigger and quitting your day job. And that frees up potentially 40 hours a week, maybe even more with a commute. And so it's kind of like this little bit of a a scary time. And so to have landed them as kind of that next client as I was making the transition was awesome. When I was taking on virtual assistant clients too, and for whatever reason, we would part ways. 
it was my goal to leave them in a better position than how I had found them. So one of the things that we teach within our course is uh, how to do standard operating procedures. So if you can make it easy for your client to like onboard you and train you in, like you're just going to be a value add. You're going to be an easy person to work with, right? And a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners, they don't know how to train people. They're not in the business of wanting to manage people and build a team, even if it's helpful for them to grow and scale their business. But usually when people start working for themselves, they don't want to step into this manager role, right? That's not a common kind of pull to self-employment. And so again, if we can kind of arm our virtual assistants with some knowledge and some strategies to make that easy... And to say, hey, client of mine, I know this is what you need done. And yes, I'm familiar with what that is, but your business is unique and different. Can you screencast yourself on Loom and show me exactly how you do that step by step? And then the virtual assistant will have that video recording to be able to watch more than once if they need to, to make sure that they're doing it accurately. But then they can take that and break it into like a written SOP or standard operating procedure, build on it as they form their own efficiencies or as platforms change and all of that good stuff. I guess with the podcast production school, it's kind of like the Horky handbook in a way because it's teaching you how to basically be a virtual assistant but specifically for podcasting. So there's also a way to connect people looking for podcast production and podcast producers on that site, it looked like? Yep, there is. So we started the Horky Handbook brand based on my own experience, and we taught and would still do teach freelance writing as well as how to start more of a generalist virtual assistant business. And the clamoring from our community is we want to learn more hard skills. And so when we broke into the podcasting medium, it just made sense for us to have our own domain, our own URL, and our own website specifically to connect with people that wanted to learn podcast production. We also got a little bit away from the virtual assistant term because in some people's mind, it's like the stereotype of uh, cheap overseas labor. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people here working domestic in the United States that have skills or can learn skills that are in demand and that are very valuable to business owners. And so we wanted to make sure that we were able to instill some confidence in them in kind of the title that they gave themselves as well as then the rates that they were charging. So when you take a look at rates, like this is a super common question, like how much money can I make as a virtual assistant? The research that exists is pretty in line with what we see in our community and what companies are having for a budget. Cause that's one of the questions that we ask, like, what are your needs? Tell us about your business and what is your budget so that we can adequately represent them and people know if they're qualified to pitch them and if they want to work with somebody. Now, not all business owners know what their budget is, or again, know how much virtual assistants charge. So there's some education and some negotiation that goes on there as well. But 20 to $40 an hour is typically what you're going to find for more of like a general admin virtual assistant. Now, the more experience that they have under their belt and the more that they develop those specialized skills, then it goes to the higher end of that range, maybe even like $30 to $50 an hour. When I was at kind of the peak of offering services, because I'm not working with clients anymore, I was earning over $100 an hour on average, but I wasn't charging hourly. And that's one of the conversations that we have within the course material too. Sometimes it's easier to get started on a client relationship with being able to charge hourly because you're not sure how much time something is going to take you to get done. The client maybe is a little bit more comfortable with knowing what an hourly rate would be and then a maximum amount of hours that would be invested in a certain project. So there's all sorts of ways that you can charge and that can be an easy way to get started. But then a lot of the times people will move it into more of a retainer model 
or packaged pricing. And then the more efficient that they get and the work that they do, they can kind of give themselves a raise without having to renegotiate with their client. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually my next question was how much can you expect, at least in America, as a virtual assistant? But with podcasting, so here's my question. Say I start this podcast editing and production business. Which I think that you should. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna have to take your class. I mean, I I know quite a bit from doing my own episodes, mm-hmm. but it, it might be helpful to also take the class, I suppose, because I'm sure I'll learn some stuff I didn't even think of. But my question is, okay, so when you charge per hour, so for podcasting specifically, let's say someone gives you a 60 minute episode, but it's gonna take you probably two about- to three times at least to edit that. Mm-hmm. So for would you charge based on the 60 minutes they give you or the 180 minutes or whatever that it might actually take you to? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's one of those things through trial and error, you'll figure out how long it takes you to edit something. Not each podcast episode is created equal because each is like 30 minutes or 60 minutes per year example. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the equal amount of time that you'll spend editing because it really depends on the quality of their audio, which I'm sure that you have some experience with. But you need to think about your all-in costs. One of my mentors, his name is James Tramco. He's behind Super Fast Business and he's out in Australia. And he talks in his book, Work Less, Make More, about an effective hourly rate. And I love to bring that into the conversation because that's the important thing. So as a virtual assistant, as an online service provider, if you don't want to give yourself that title of VA, you need to be in tune with what your effective hourly rate is, which means how much do you make all in when you take all of the service activities, as well as your own admin and marketing and all of that kind of stuff into account. Like what's your hourly rate at the end of that? And that's after expenses, if you have any associated with your business as well. And that's a metric that you can't just take, you know, on a daily or weekly basis and and do that calculation and you're good. That's something to assess on an ongoing, like rolling basis, because you'd like for that number to go up over time. And then at some point, you'll just kind of max that out because you've maxed out your own efficiencies when it comes to your systems and your processes and all of that good stuff. And you can always change then what you're charging on the front end. But you need to think about your all-in time invested. And that's when you know people are like, oh, $20 an hour. Sometimes clients think that's all they need to pay for a virtual assistant. And when you think about that as a self-employed person, if you're earning that $20 an hour, you're still responsible for your own overhead, your own equipment, which is great because all that stuff you can write off on your taxes. If you buy a new computer, your internet, your cell phone, potentially, like there's a lot of deductions that come with being a small business owner, but you're also responsible for your own self-employment taxes and benefits. If you give yourselves any like saving for your retirement or any types of health insurance or any of that good stuff. So you need to kind of know what your worth is and what it's going to cost you to potentially run your business to most of us just get started by finding our first client and offering services to them though. So you don't need to overcomplicate it. All that being said, you just want to gain some experience. You want to test out if these services are things that you enjoy doing and that you're good at. And it kind of evolves from there. You can also start your business under your own name and your social security number. So you don't have to file a a business entity or do any real special licensure or certification or any 
any of that kind of stuff either. Validate that you can find a client and get paid first. You brought up benefits. Is there any kind of virtual assistant organization where like all the virtual assistants in America, for example, are under a particular health plan? Is there anything like that? No. So I was actually self-employed prior to starting my virtual assistant business. So I had an LLC before and we had our own because my husband was a stay-at-home parent. We had our own individual healthcare plan. And then when I made the move, eventually like our premiums were insane. They were like $1,200 a month and we had this super high deductible. So we went to like a Christian health share plan. And then my company has grown now where we're going to get a group plan in place with a, also super expensive. It's, it's one of those things that if you have a spouse that's still employed in corporate America, more than likely it's going to make sense to stay under their health benefits. Each state has an exchange here in Minnesota. I never found real good options. And that's why we went with that Christian health share. So it's, it's really going to be individual situation based, unfortunately. There are some different organizations that will cover things like liability insurance, although I don't know that that's like a, a real huge need for your average person that's just offering customer service or, or whatever it is that they're doing. But hopefully that's an area that we'll see change because the freelancing marketplace, people that are self-employed offering services online, I don't know if it's like a third of people. Like I, I was just reading some statistics the other day and the average person's making like $75,000 a year. So, I mean, there's room in there to budget some of these expenses yourself. But if you're just getting started, you'll need to know what are you leaving behind if you're quitting your job mm -hmm. in order to make educated decisions. But if you're just starting a side hustle, it's probably not going to be an issue right away. And then I guess you could even as your workload, clientele, whatever expands, you could even, I guess, hire like, subcontractors, I guess. Is yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. We'll get virtual assistants that have scaled into more, well, a couple of scenarios. One, they'll scale into more of an agency model. So they'll continue to take on clients and then they serve as kind of the client liaison as well as like the marketing department of growing their business. And then they'll hire other virtual assistants from our community to either do all of the work or just portions of the work. And then other virtual assistants will have select services that they offer, and then they'll just form relationships with other people. So when there's a client need that isn't in the scope of the services they offer, they'll either just do a direct referral, or they can maintain that client relationship and again, pay that subcontractor out beneath that. And what I found from my own personal experience is you need to charge enough if you're going to be running kind of an agency model where you're earning maybe like a 50% profit. So you need to charge a client enough that you can pay the person that's doing the work still a livable wage and then be able to have a profit on your end. If you're running like a 90-10, like you're charging $100 to the client and you're paying the virtual assistant or your peer $90 and you're only saving 10, it's just not worth it. I'd rather refer that out and not have any of the responsibility. Yeah, that makes sense. I was looking on the website at the different types of virtual assistant businesses you can start. And one that mm -hmm. kind of interested me or I've had interest in, in the past is live chat. How would you even get started in that? Yeah, that's not something that I have a ton of experience. We've toyed with chat ourselves as business owners and offering that on like sales pages and stuff like that. But it, it's something that to be effective, you kind of need to be available to be able to answer it. So that's we were just having this conversation in our community the other day regarding like customer service. So that was one of my primary 
service offerings, but I did it from a way of email management customer service. Now there's that way to do customer service. Social media is actually being used to do customer service a lot. It's growing. And then there's telephone customer service as well as chat. Telephone customer service is not very prevalent as far as what we're seeing and needs. We have a Google voice number set up with our company. And so every once in a while, I'll get somebody that leaves a message and Google voice is great because it then transcribes it into my inbox. And I'll forward that on because it's somebody that's you know having questions around their billing information or whatever. And if Davey, our customer service rep, can't figure out the client's email to get back in contact with them that way. Cause that's our preferred method of communication. We're an online business and we deal with people worldwide. Like we can't be available 24 seven. It's just impossible. Then she'll give them a call back. And it's just not like a huge part of your average business owner. There are people that are looking for people to mine a live chat And I imagine that they're striking up some sort of expectations and agreement around their availability. So those functions can be turned on and off. And then on the back end, you can measure when are your highest or your peak times for getting inquiries in. And so if it's on as active, then the person is going to get some kind of notification to be able to answer those replies if they're providing that service. And if the functionality is off, then it usually comes in as like that email inbox inquiry, and then it's dealt with during normal business hours. So if I were a virtual assistant offering this service, I would just be cognizant that if they're asking me to be available, like eight hours a day, five days a week, that I'm getting paid for that. Like if they only have one random message coming in every once in a while, and you're like billing them for five minutes of time every once in a while, it's not going to be worth it to you. You need to be able to have a high enough volume during the hours that you're setting aside that they're paying you for those hours. And then if you do have some downtime, then you need to have that agreement in place that you're able to work on other projects. But what I wouldn't want to see happen is somebody saying I'm available for 40 hours. They're paying them like $50 a day to be available for 80 hours, which is not enough money, right? And they have no other projects that they're working on. So they're just tied to their desk. And it's like, well, why not go work somewhere else? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think you've answered all my questions that I have right now. Is there anything else that you wanted to go over or touch on that I hadn't asked? For anybody that's considering starting a virtual assistant or online service-based business, some of my best advice would be to take a look at what would you like to see happen out of it is something that you want to earn a full-time income. You don't have to work full-time hours in order to earn a full-time income, which is the beauty of working online and being self-employed. And then do like a skills inventory. So what are the things that you already know how to do that you would like to sell as services? We have a, a checklist on our website called 150 services that you can offer as a virtual assistant and get paid for. So if you don't have another resource, you could download that, print it out and take a highlighter and highlight those things that you know how to do. Take maybe a black Sharpie and cross out the things that you know how to do, but you are not willing to do for pay. And then maybe other things that you don't know how to do that you're just not interested in learning. And then you can use another color highlighter to highlight things that you don't know how to do right now, but you're interested in learning more about. And we also get asked a lot about like what kind of attributes are looked for in a virtual assistant. You have to be reliable and communicative. Those are probably the two biggest ones. So there's this negative connotation out there in the freelancer market that people will go dark or disappear. 
And in my experience, it's like tiny percentage of people, like the few bad apples that ruin the bunch kind of a scenario. But clients are also looking for somebody that's communicative and not just answers an email, but is keeping them up to date if they're working on a large project, where they're at, what they're needing, if anything from the client in order to keep moving forward. And then I think you should also have a little bit of a hustle mentality because it is your job to go and find clients while prospecting and putting yourself out there can feel real scary and intimidating at times. It's one of those things you got to do in order to see the payday side of things and and you'll want to do that. And then lastly, just being open to learning and curious about how businesses work, being authentically interested in people. So here's the really great thing is not only did you get to choose what services you want to offer, but you also have the choice in who you want to work with. And you've probably read the research and studies about 80% of the workforce is disillusioned and unfulfilled at work or whatever, right? There's usually two reasons for that happening. One, they don't like the activities of their day-to-day job. And the second is they don't like their coworkers or their boss. So if you can create this scenario where you get paid to do stuff you like and you're always kind of learning and being challenged in the right way and you're doing it for businesses that you would promote on your own anyways because you just believe in their mission or you love their products or whatever the case may be, you're going to probably be pretty fulfilled and happy on an average day-to-day basis in your work. Yeah, those are good points. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. And if people want to learn more, they can go to Horky Handbook. Dot com, or if they're interested in the podcast production school, that's just podcastproductionschool.com. And then I'll have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Gina Horky. Awesome. Thanks so much. It was a great conversation. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.